want to uh, continue in the Sermon on the Mount. We made it through those first three, um, first three rounds, you might say. Um, uh, we've, we've taken a week in between to sit on the stool and get first aid in the corner, have water splashed in our face, smelling salts rubbed under our nose and uh, all of that. Some of you have complained to me that you've been punched in the face and I just want you to know it wasn't, it wasn't me throwing the punch. You know that, right? I did not write this stuff. We want to continue with the next section. And if you're reading ahead in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you can, you can read through the whole Sermon on the Mount in 30 minutes or less. Uh, and, but you'll also see that Jesus um, speaks in what we would call today sound bites. And he talks about this thing, and he talks about this thing, and he talks about this thing. And so we're just looking at each one of those this things one at a time. That's why it's going to take us half a year to do it. It took Jesus an afternoon. But we're slow. I am anyway. So uh, today we go on to this next and, and maybe, maybe one of the more well-known sections of the Sermon on the Mount uh, where, where we talk about being salt and being light. And so I'm going to start reading in uh, Matthew chapter 5. And verse 13. Familiar words. I know they're familiar. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the salt of the earth. That's, that's become a, an expression that's, that's used widely, not just within the church circles, but it's used outside of church circles too. When you hear, you know, and maybe this is not so much used in modern pop language, it doesn't text well, but uh, you, you heard the expression, he's the salt of the earth, or she's the salt of the earth. And when you hear that, it, it's a compliment. It's intended as a compliment, right? Someone, someone says, she's the salt of the earth. We're saying... She's really a nice person. She makes uh, people around her enjoy life more. So I want to talk for a few minutes about the, the good of salt. What good is salt? Um, of course, the first thing that comes to my mind, at least, and a couple of you pointed this out to me already this morning, thank you, uh, is salt adds flavor to food. But not too much salt, right? Not only, not only are the healthcare advisors saying not too much salt, but your taste buds are saying, whoa, that's too much salt. Back it off. My, my older brother is a, is a chef. He trained at Culinary Institute of America. And uh, he, he has given me some tips along the way. I am, I am the most amateur of amateurs when it comes to cooking. Uh, but I stand and watch. And, and he told me he doesn't add salt until the very end of preparation. And he adds it very sparingly and he tastes it after he's added it to see if it needs more. Because you can't take salt out. 
So salt adds flavor, it adds, it adds savor, it makes bland food more interesting and appealing. But we don't want to use too much of it, right? A second use for salt is that it has been historically used as a preservative. Now, we have, we have techniques available to us today that are, I guess, superior to um, taking, taking fish and, and putting a layer of salt in the bottom of the barrel and a layer of fish and another layer of salt and another layer of fish. And, and I could add layers depending on how much time I have to fill in this sermon, but I don't have any time to fill. So you get the idea. A layer of salt, a layer of fish, and that keeps the fish from spoiling until it can be used. How that works, uh, I had to look this up because I'm not a scientist. Salt acts to dry out food, to dehydrate it. And uh, if, you, if, you drink too, if you use too much salt, you know the effect. Since all living things require water, cannot live without it, this also includes the bacteria which can spoil food and cause food poisoning. So by, by preserving food with salt, you're actually destroying any damaging agent. Somehow it doesn't destroy the fish that you're going to eat, I guess. I've never eaten salt pork or salted fish. And it's interesting to me because the Dead Sea, the lowest place on the surface of the earth, the water in the Dead Sea is nearly 34% salt. Eight times more than the, than the earth's oceans. Eight times saltier than the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. And because of that high concentration of salt, there is no fish, no plant life, no observable life at all living in the waters of the Dead Sea. Isn't that interesting? Somehow salt preserves, but weirdly by preventing the growth of harmful things. That's interesting. There's a third use for salt. Salt serves as a healing agent. You've heard that expression, oh, they're rubbing salt in the wound, and we think, that's bad. That's torture. Billy Crystal said, it's like I've gotten paper cuts and you're squeezing lemon juice into it. It was funny when he said it. Yes, I guess I guess that's why um, I don't have his job and he doesn't have mine. <clears throat> Rubbing salt in a wound is actually what people did to clean out infected cuts. Remember what I said about killing bacteria? To clean out and cleanse infected cuts and scrapes. Now, maybe you've experienced this, but I remember I had a case of poison ivy and my, my legs from the knees down were so covered with that red, itchy rash. But it turned out that we had a trip planned to the Jersey Shore. And I spent um, several hours in the Atlantic Ocean, and only afterwards did I realize that all of the itching was gone. And I guess the salt in the salt water dried out that oil, that irritating oil, Eurutio, I think it's called. I also found out, well, at least um, 
I've been told, I heard it from a friend, that it works well on acne. Salt has a healing quality to it. You are the salt of the earth. You add flavor. You're a preservative. You're an agent of healing. And salt stimulates thirst. We've already talked about that. You've heard the expression, you can't lead a horse to water, right? You, no, 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 that's not it. I'm not, I'm not on today. I need, to, I need to reboot. Good morning, everyone. Oh, thank you. I love the special effects guys. Thank you. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Maybe you've also heard this addendum, but you can salt the oats. Have you heard that? You can salt the oats, and that makes the horse thirsty. And if the horse is thirsty and there's water, the horse will drink. Now, we're not talking about horses anymore, are we? And then there's a fifth use, if you're, paying it to, if you're keeping notes in your bulletin. I know one or two of you do. Salt melts ice. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said that when salt has lost its flavor, you can't restore the salty flavor, but you can throw it on the ground and trample it under your feet. We don't think of uh, Israel being, um, you know, in the Arctic. Did they have problems with snow and ice? They had snow. They had ice. And maybe they figured out. Somebody spilled salt from the salt shaker on a patch of ice. And the sun worked with the salt and melted the ice. And nobody slipped. And the, the, cartoon, the cartoon slip on the ice where your feet go straight up in the air and your, the other part of you hits the ground. Yeah, me too. So even when it doesn't have enough flavor and quality for the first four purposes, it could still have some degree of serviceability and usefulness, even if it's just to melt ice. You, Jesus said, are the salt of the earth. Here's a couple of things that Paul said that might add some application to this. From Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, maybe, maybe that by itself isn't as helpful as this one, but when you hear this one and you put them together, you say, oh. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, <laughs> you, you and I, if, if we hear the expression, you know, he, he speaks a little salty. <laughs> that does not mean what, what, what Jesus means. It does not mean that um, that our our conversations should be should be sprinkled with coarse, profane, vulgar, or obscene words, which is what we think of when we say 
His speech is a little salty. He talks like a sailor. I guess that's the connection. Instead, it's actually the opposite. Our conversations should be seasoned to taste. Knowing how to answer each person so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Um, as fits the occasion. So we don't all like the same amount of salt on our food, right? Actually, I'm a pepper person myself. But um, everybody has a different level of precise, precise application of salt. Not too much. But when you are paying attention to the person to whom you are talking, use the right amount of salt in your conversation. So that the conversational food that we're serving up isn't distasteful and makes the person push the plate away unfinished, but rather leaves a person asking for more. Does this make sense to you? This is how we are the salt of the earth. We take those things that Jesus has, has given us, these qualities of adding flavor and preservative and healing and creating thirst and even melting ice, metaphorically speaking, using that in the right way, in the right amount, according to each person's need. This this sounds a lot more complicated and difficult than it at first might seem. It means that I have to, well, they, they, you know, they say, read the room. When you're talking to someone, pick up the cues of how they're receiving what you're saying. Learn when to back off a little. Just, just dial it down a little bit. And, and learn when there's an opportunity to press in gently. Okay, let's go on to the next part of the salt and light. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. I know you know this little children's song, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus. See, you know this song. And now this verse I learned, you probably didn't learn this verse. Shine all over Afton. You didn't know that verse. But you know another verse like it, right? Our verse would be shine all over Middletown, right? We're the light of the world. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Now, he also said at another point, I am the light of the world. And I, I Dennis, am the light of the world um, in comparison to Jesus, the light of the world, in the same way that the moon is the light of the world at night in comparison to the sun being the light of the world at the, in the day, Right? What light source does the moon have? The sun. The moon is a mirror that reflects light. And, that's, and that, in that way, you and I are the light of the world 
in, re in relation to Jesus being the light of the world. What are the uses of light? Darkness exists, according to the dictionary, because of the absence of light. So when light is introduced, it dispels darkness. Darkness is the partial or total absence of light. Dark, darkness also metaphorically uh, is used um, uh, to describe evil, the forces of darkness. Forces of evil. <laughs> Subpoint under one. Uh, light enables sight. That's the way our eyes are designed. Our eyes work by, by receiving uh, the images illuminated by whatever light there is and then processing them in the back of that. Uh, I already said I'm not a scientist. I'm also not an optometrist, so don't expect me to explain. But you have to have light in order to be able to use your sight. When light dispels darkness, those who have eyes to see can see what was present all along, though it was hidden from sight because of the absence of light. Second, light signals travelers. Light signals travelers. Last weekend, uh, on Saturday, Kelly and I took our three older grandsons grandkids, their grandsons, and their parents, who happen to be our son and daughter-in-law. They just get in the way sometimes, but they're there. <laughs> we took them to the Baltimore Aquarium. Some of you might have been to the Baltimore Aquarium. Right outside of the Baltimore Aquarium, um, tied up to the concrete jetty, there is a ship. The name of the ship is the Chesapeake, and it is a, a, a special kind of ship. It is a light ship. And atop of the main mast on that ship is a powerful light, like you would find in a lighthouse. The use of a light ship and the use of the, of the lighthouse are, are very, very similar, except the light ship is mobile, portable. Those light ships or lighthouses, they... Signal travelers concerning danger ahead. They show those who are navigating on the seas where the rocks are, where the coastline is. There's an old gospel song. If it wasn't for the lighthouse, where would this ship be? Uh, the, the light signals danger, but more than danger, it signals safety. This way to safe harbor, those navigating will have charts if they're not familiar with the water. And if they're familiar with the waters, they will have experience to know where I see the lighthouse, I stay to the port or starboard, left or right. I had to, you know, throw in nautical terms there. Avoid the light. Don't run into the lighthouse. Do not sail toward the light. Mm. but sail near the light because it, it shows you which way to go to safety. And then thirdly, 
light signals welcome. Kelly gets a lot of mention in my sermons. Have you noticed this? <laughs> she has a favorite Christmas album. It's Alabama's first Christmas album. She likes the second one, but not as much as the first one. And one of the songs on that Christmas album is uh, Candle in the Window. Maybe you know the song or maybe you've heard it. These are, just, these are just a few of the words from that song. There's a candle in the window, a flame against the night. There's a candle in the window. It's like God's perfect light. Imagine um, the, the southern drawl of the voices of the lead singer and the backup singers of the, of the country group Alabama. It don't take a lot of money to know what riches are. Just a candle in the window. And then because it's a Christmas song. Just a candle in the window. Christmas in your heart. Well, just a candle in the window. And Jesus in your heart. Now, that, that might have left you cold. Uh, you, don't like, you don't like country music. You don't like Alabama. You don't like Christmas. Okay. Here's another, here's another one. Many of you have heard this. I'm Tom Bodette from Hotel Six. And we'll leave the light on for you. Light signals to a traveler, there's a welcome waiting for you here. How are we doing with that? Do we, as the light of the world... Send that signal. Some of us are really good at warning of danger. Repent, you sinner. Here's what you're doing wrong. I've been taking notes. You're sailing into dangerous waters. How are we doing with showing people the way to safety? How are we doing by sending a, belk, a beacon? A be I started to say welcome and then I put the B on it. A welcome. <laughs> a welcome beacon. There's another use of light. It fights back against fear. Fear of the dark. It's a primal fear. One of our New York grandsons stayed at our house last night. Overnight with Lolly and Pop. Lolly, lollipop retreat. We made sure there was a nightlight plugged in. In the room where we put him. I'm sure many of you who are parents have left a light on in the room. Or left the light on in the hallway with the kids door open. To reassure them. That when the main lights go out, we have not surrendered to darkness. Because remember the um, metaphorical relationship between darkness and evil? Well, that's a very primal thought. So light helps me fight back against the fear of whatever I can't quite see or describe. The unknown.
And finally, well, there are other uses of light. I just mean finally for the purposes of this sermon. So if you have other uses of light, you want, you want to suggest them to me, please do. Um, email them to me, call me, tell me. Um, you can help me write this sermon if I ever, if I ever deliver it again. Light brings hidden things to light. Have you ever tried walking through a dark house late at night barefoot? <laughs> where, where children have been playing with their Lego bricks right up until the last moment before bedtime? Isn't that wonderful? It is then that you know how precious is the light that brings those hidden things into the light. Out of the shadows. Not everything that's in the darkness is bad or evil, by the way. There are some things waiting for us that we have not yet seen because God has not yet brought them into the light for us. One of the scriptures that we read during the worship time. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard all those things that God has is now preparing for those who love the Lord. But as the light comes around and those things are brought into view, it's pretty exciting. Last thing Jesus says, the last verse in this section, in, in the same way, in the same way as <clears throat> you don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel and in a city that's on a hill cannot be hidden. When you light a lamp, you put it on a lampstand so the light can be seen widely. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In the same way. Jesus' instructions about how to be the light. First, don't hide or obscure the light. Let it shine so that it may be seen and not hidden. Let it shine. Let it shine. Yes, let it shine. <clears throat> and secondly, direct the light Godward. Let me explain what I mean. Francis of Assisi is believed to have said, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. You've heard this. Okay. It is necessary to use words. Eventually. The implication of this phrase, if necessary, use words, is that shining our light, our way of living out in the open where others can see how we act and hear how we speak, it's more important than if we were actually to say to someone, you must be born again. Or you, you must accept Christ. Or you must ask Jesus into your heart. Or, or any of the ways that we communicate that message. The idea is it's more important how you live than what you say. And to an extent, I agree. It's also said this way, actions speak louder than words. 
Okay. I do not disagree. But are my actions alone, with no words, enough to win my neighbor to faith in Christ? Thank you. I happen to agree with you. Listen to this. It's in Romans chapter 10. I know you need to listen faster. I'm, I'm aware. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That seems to be a... a a pretty clear statement. Somehow, I have to believe something in my heart, and that belief in my heart will produce in me a statement, a confession, an admission of faith in Christ. Paul goes on, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he asks these important questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? See, eventually... We're going to have to use our words. Someone is going to have to tell my neighbor how to get to heaven. Paul goes on. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Look down at your feet. How beautiful are they? Uh, you, know, you, you can stop looking at your feet. Don't look at my feet either. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, shining my light for others to see, shining my light so that my neighbor sees that I'm a good guy. I don't blow my leaves onto his property. I don't leave my grass clippings in the lane. Uh, if my dog wanders onto his property, I make sure he leaves no trace. If my neighbor just sees that I'm a good neighbor, how will he then do what Jesus said and see what I do as his neighbor and somehow glorify our Father who is in heaven? You see, if I'm just doing good things so that others will see that I'm doing good things, who do they glorify? They glorify me. Oh yeah, he's a good neighbor. But that's not enough. 
We are not climbing a ladder of good works thinking that if I do enough good works, the last rung opens up into heaven. We get this ladder image from Genesis 28. Jacob's, Jacob's dream. He has a vision during a dream. He saw a ladder reaching from earth all the way into heaven. And in this dream, he saw that there were angels going up and down. And then he said, above it all, God himself stood. Notice in this vision, two things. First of all, he saw angels on the ladder, not people. And secondly, he was not invited to climb. Here's what I want you to understand from this. You and I are not invited to climb a ladder of good works, thinking that if I do enough... I will get to heaven. And, and on my way up, people will notice that I'm climbing and I've gotten pretty high. And they'll say, wow, look at him go. The ladder to heaven can only take me to heaven if one who has come down the ladder puts me on his back and takes me back up with him. Check out Ephesians 4, 8 to 10 for more on that. And uh, here's where that 1 Peter 3.15 verse comes in again that I mentioned last week, and I promised you you're going to hear it more than once from me if you hang around. In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Go ahead. Use your words. And... Be salt, add flavor, preserve, heal, create thirst, kindle thirst for God and his word. And while you're at it, go ahead and melt some ice. Be light. Shine boldly, shine brightly, and point others to Jesus. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, but we're not leaving our series we're going to talk about the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and how the triumphal entry was a piece of that. Let's pray together. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for uh, helping us through this. Help us to understand a little bit better what it means that you have said to us, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, and we should let that light shine so that others may see how we are living and give you the glory for it. Help us, I pray with that in Jesus' name.